Hey, welcome to the Church Planting Podcast. My name is Josh Taransky. We have a special episode for you today. I'm sitting down with Clint Clifton, and it's just he and I, we're going to talk through a really important subject, and that's the just the challenge of being a church planter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clint, you've uh, used this phrase that there's almost this like postpartum yeah. uh, experience that goes on. Um, let's jump right into it. Yeah. Um, set, the, set the scene. You've worked with hundreds of church planters. You've church planted. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been coaching guys that are church planting. You've seen probably everything that a guy could face. Um, yeah, I don't know, but I've definitely, I can definitely say that the difficulty is common to everyone. Yeah. Um, it's funny when you <laughs> interact with church planters, they very commonly say things like, you know, they, they see themselves as having a harder time than everyone else. Like they're in a category of their own, either their context or their life situation or their financial status or whatever. It's like, it's to the, to the point that now I look at it and I think it's a tactic of the enemy to convince church planters that their challenges are unique and they're not common to other church planters, you know? Yeah, it is, uh, so, so there's a creative aspect mm-hmm. where you're just, you're, you're pioneering something that's new, right? There's a template that you're creating. Um, it's mental. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's emotional because it's, you're working with people. People are not mechanical widgets, you know, yep. that fit, uh, people can, you know, stab you in the back. Yep. So it is, it can be really That's tough. one of the elements of it that is the hardest is the personal piece I remember having conflict early on in the first year of my church, uh, one of the churches I planted and a guy uh, looked across the table at me and said, it's not personal. And I said, yes, it is. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's really personal. Like it can't not be personal. I've poured my whole life into this. It's personal. You know? So, I mean, and I react, you know, I didn't react in a great way at that moment, but it is personal. I mean, there's no way to get away from the fact that you wind your whole life up into the effort to start a new church in the same way that an entrepreneur winds his whole life up in his business venture. Um, you, you kind of put all the chips in the middle of the table when you plant a church and, um, it makes you both dependent upon Jesus or angry at Jesus, you know, one or the other, you know, so let's talk about a guy going into planting. Mm -hmm. Um, how can knowing that it's tough, uh, it's a challenging work. How, can a guy best prepare himself, mm-hmm. his family for what's ahead? So here's what I do. <clears throat> this is, I don't know if it works, but here's what I do. I try to scare the crap out of people, just to be honest <laughs> with you. Yeah. Um, and I feel like if, you know, just in the same way that Spurgeon said, if you can consider yourself being happy doing anything else by God's, for God's sake, do it, you know, because uh, you have to, only be able to do this in order to find any measure of joy in life in order to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I think the same is true for church planning. You have to have it in your bones. You have to have a fire in your bones to do it. If you are going into church planting because it's the best career option on the table for you, it's it's not going to be the best career option very soon because you're going to be in the middle of it and you're going to have underestimated how challenging it'll be. 
and <clears throat> you're going to see lots of other career options. I know we're not supposed to talk about Mark Driscoll anymore. He's uh, <laughs> he's the person we're not supposed to speak of anymore. <laughs> but he <laughs> he used to say he used to uh, call Monday bread truck Monday, you know, because yeah. he wanted to drive a bread truck on Monday. Uh, every <laughs> Monday he was like just anything but this, you know. Uh, every I had a I had a church planting friend who used to have serial dreams about being the target shopping cart collector. Yeah. Like yeah. that's all he wanted. Uh, was yeah, just, just like, I want just out let of this. Me do something just else. let me collect the yeah. cards. <laughs> I, I just, I always call it an escape hatch. Like I was always, you know, by year two, I was considering escape hatches. And by year three, I was, I was actively looking for an escape hatch. So actually what I want to do, I, when I say yeah. I try to scare people, there's two, tactics I use to scare people. One is I read letters to them from uh, church planters who have resigned. Mm. So they send letters to me saying they're, they're throwing in the towel. They're calling it quits. I show them those letters. Um, I have a collection of those. Um, I can't post those because there's personal information in there, but I'm happy to share them with people one-on-one or snippets of them if you want to uh email email us we can we can share some of that stuff with Mm. you uh but but it's sobering to read somebody's thoughts when they have finally made the decision to quit after they have put so much of themselves and their energy into it another thing i do is i read my some of my own story and so i'm going to just like show you a couple uh, read a couple pieces um sure. out of that um for you now and then we can maybe just talk about it yeah um so this comes from the um <clears throat> this comes from uh, you know, getting out of the minutia or the difficulty of church planting and getting on the other side of that and now being in a place where I can see that with perspective. So now I'm far away from the difficulty of church planting and I can look back on it and see what the, what it was, what it did in my life, what it accomplished. And so here, here's the mm-hmm. progression I, I like to explain to people. And this is how I talk to people with it. Uh, about it. And, and so my church planting journey ministry started with eagerness. So I just used like one word to describe kind of my state of mind. Sure. Okay. So it started with, with eagerness in the months uh, leading up to our first worship service. I couldn't wait for the regular rhythm of ministry to start. Um, I was tired of talking about ministry. I was tired of following other people in ministry. I just wanted to do it. The irony here is I was 23 and, uh, I don't know what I was tired of. I hadn't done anything long enough to get tired um, at right. that point in my life. But I was, I was like, I was eager, really eager to the point that I had an angst about me mm. um, that is kind of good, I think. And I want to see that in a church planter, um, but I was eager uh, and, and it led me to this kind of extreme optimism. I was so eager that I ignored any, any signs that things could even potentially go sideways. Mm. So I was optimistic. Our first worship service went great. My attendance expectations were met. Our people seemed joyful in that first gathering. Um, A few even gave their lives to Christ that day. Everything in our ministry like really seemed to be on track. You know, the Sunday we began. So we ramped up to this big beginning and there it was. So eagerness and optimism led to, led me to surprise the surprise was as the weeks passed our attendance didn't continue to climb like i expected uh but it began to sag in fact it completely caught me off guard that things did not continue to thrive 
after our um, our f- first worship service. In fact, uh, people were more difficult to lead than I anticipated. Some people were even critical of my leadership. I mean, I couldn't believe they would be critical <laughs> of a 23 year old seasoned leader like myself. Um, but they were, people were, people were critical and, uh, it, I was surprised. I was just kind of, I mean, it had not even crossed my mind that that could be possible. I was so confident that I was equipped for this. Um, and I was confident because I was so eager that I was tremendously optimistic and then surprised. And that's kind of the progression it led me to. Um, and then the surprise uh, led me to a, a sort of disorientation. And previously, every indicator I'd paid attention to confirmed what I thought already, which was I was going to be great at this. You know, mm-hmm. I only thought, I mean, all of my personal thoughts inside my head before I started planting where I'm going to crush every aspect of this preaching leadership mm. multiplication. I just really had no, no doubt at all that I was going to be great at it. Um, so, so I was disoriented when I wasn't, I was kind of like regroup trying to regroup real fast. Like, man, what's going on? I, I didn't, I hadn't considered how I might respond if things didn't go as, according to plan. You uh-huh. know, it might, reminds me of that. Uh, you ever heard that Mike Tyson quote where he says, uh, Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. You know? <laughs> I hadn't heard that. No, it's that's great. great. It's a great quote. I love it. And that's how I felt. I was just disoriented. I was my stars spinning around my head, you know? Yeah. Um, and then that led me to, uh, to a sort of disbelief. I, mm-hmm. I stuck my head in the sand. I pretended the problems weren't that I was facing. didn't really exist. I told others when they asked me, how are things going? I'd say, they're going great, man. Uh, everything's awesome. <laughs> you know, I mean, the church is doing great. Uh, and yeah. I would just put on my, my poker face, so to speak. I was really prideful. Uh, I was, um, I was so prideful that I couldn't tell other people about my vulnerabilities and my difficulties. Um, I wouldn't tell people about the leadership challenges I was facing, the people that were angry with me. I would not tell people about the, Mm. um, the growth challenges we were facing, the fact that we weren't growing at all. Um, those things were things I tried to hide. And when people asked me about them, um, especially those who were my supporters and probably the people who were most likely to truly be able to help me. I hid that information from them. And I sort of said to them, they could look at the sheer facts that not so many people were coming and it wasn't going that great. And they could have concluded from that, that um, I wasn't feeling good, but everything I said to them was, I'm doing just fine. Don't worry about me. And I just wouldn't, wouldn't be honest with them. So it was kind of disbelief. I had my head in the sand. Um, and that led me to, uh, determination, um, you know, uh, just, just sort of like when I finally admitted to myself that things weren't going great, I convinced myself that the problem really had to do with the fact that I wasn't working hard enough. And so I just, just tried to muscle it out. You know, I tried to work more, do harder, address my own, I didn't address my own deficiencies as a leader. I just like plowed through Mm. everything, believing that things would eventually get better but they, they really didn't get better. And I just needed, I just thought I just need to work hard. I just need to sacrifice more. And so, I mean, you can guess who got the short end of that, that conclusion, right? Your family. Yeah, my family did. Yeah. So I was just like, you know, I uh, would get frustrated with my wife uh, because she would want to go on vacation or she'd want to step away or she'd want to get a breather or she'd want me to turn off my phone or she'd want me to disconnect from work to be with her. And, I thought if I take my foot off the gas, this whole thing will crash, you know? Mm. And, uh, 
And so I just couldn't or wouldn't do that, which mm-hmm. led to frustration. Things didn't get better. My weaknesses as a leader were haunting me every at every turn. Uh, and as I was more less optimistic about the worst, I had less uh, the work. I had less energy to to continue to press into it. And so I was just frustrated. I was facing criticism from my team, and I was starting to really believe the things they were saying about me. I was starting to think mm-hmm. that they were right, like inside. I still wouldn't admit it outside, but I was starting to see what they were saying. I saw some of my own weaknesses um, really. And people that I respected and loved and trusted were, were looking at me and saying, like, you're screwing this up. You're doing this wrong. You're hurting people. Mm. And um, and so that was that was the the frustration that led to dissatisfaction. It wasn't long before I found myself unhappy, unmotivated for the basic work of church planting, sharing the gospel, discipling people, organizing ministry events. Uh, all became laborsome to me when before it was exciting and I was, I was anxious to do it. I'd stay up, you know, late at night, I get up early in the morning to do that work. Now I just couldn't find the energy for it. I was, I was like depression. I was depressed. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I just had no energy for it. Yeah. It led me to despair. The angst I was feeling seeped into my soul, affected my spiritual affections, Mm. Um, desire to talk to God and to hear from him desires that had always been strong in my Christian life from the time I become a Christian, like those desires were missing. They were just, just not there anymore. And I didn't quite know how to deal with that. My passion to see God glorified through my life and my work, like sort of all but disappeared, which led to remorse. I started regretting the fact that I attempted to start a church at all. I look back on my initial zeal and even my call to ministry as youthful naivety. Mm. I became cynical about the future viability of the church. I started to think the church wasn't going to make it. So I started trying to figure out a way that I could detach myself from it, but not lose face. Mm -hmm. Wow. It was a tough time. It was really, really tough. It was like, uh, yeah, despair. Um, my passion to see God glorified through my life and my work just disappeared. Um, and it led to escape. Um, I started considering various ways to escape. Could I just quit? Could I cut off ties with all my previous acquaintances? Could I like drop off of Facebook? Literally one of the patterns I see when, um, when church planners quit, uh, they say sometimes will quit and delete their Facebook account. Wow. Which is interesting to me. Isn't that interesting? Like they, they just can't stomach the idea that people will, the, that platform that they've used to say how everything's going great. Now they want that platform to just not be, not be there anymore. Just not even be present anymore. Um, which is, which is kind of crazy. Um, so that led to uh, acceptance. Well, I couldn't bring myself to pull the trigger on any of those like nuclear options, you know, so I, right. I didn't have the, the guts to do that, to quit. I was too prideful to quit in a sense. And so because of that, um, I just resigned myself to the fact that I would always be the pastor of a tiny cash strapped, dysfunctional, portable church. Like that's what I was going to, well, that's who I am. That's, that's my lot in life. That's uh-huh. the price I'd pay for my inability to discern the true will of God earlier in my life. You know, Mm. I convinced everyone around me that my church was small because I wanted it to be large churches. Couldn't decide people, disciple people. They were man centered. I was going to plant a true church and my my church was going to be small and it was small because I wanted it to be. Um, and uh, other churches were unhealthy around me. That was, that was my way out. Yeah. That was the narrative. 
and which led to rhythm. My cynicism started to crack and I started to see small signs of God's continued work in my life and through the church. Didn't happen nearly as fast as I thought, but I started to see some good things happening in the life of the church as I just did, as I, as my expectations just plummeted and I just was like, I'll just live with this and I'll just kind of be a regular pastor. Hmm. Um, things weren't great, but they weren't terrible either. Instead of striking out of the missional batter's box, every time I got up to the plate, I started getting a piece of the ball every now and then, you know? Right. And, uh, it led to hope, like a little bit of hope. Like it felt like spring, you know, I was excited about ministry again. I hardly noticed the shift, but my wife and I were staying up late. We were talking about ministry again. We were having ideas about how to move the ball down the field. We were um, redreaming old dreams we'd had in mm. a new version of them, you know, dreams that had been frozen in like a block of despair for a couple of years. Wow. And it led to like a sort of contentment. Optimistic, yes, but not naive anymore. Uh, eager but sober, you know, a little, kind of mature. The future of our church seemed bright, and the season of difficulty seemed actually like a gift from the Lord. Like I look back at it and I go, God used that in my life actually to bring me to a place that I could never have been before it. Mm. Um, and so that was the sort of con- contentment that initially eventually settled in. And I would say, if I were describing the church planning journey as a whole, I would say like the first five years or something like that was me rowing really hard. Like using a boat analogy, I was rowing, 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 rowing. Hmm. And then from five years, five and beyond, you know, it's like the wind started to blow a little bit and there started to be a current in the water and I put up the sail and and now it feels like 15 years into my ministry. It feels like I, I, I'm just trying to manage this thing that's, you know, you know, wildly going somewhere that I can't hardly steer. Mm. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, Mark Dever says this, I think people far overestimate what they can accomplish in two years and underestimate what they can accomplish in 10. And I think that's really important uh, for the church planner to keep in mind. This is a marathon. It's not sprint. And so yeah. those are the, it's kind of the emotional journey I went through. That's really helpful. Let me ask a couple of follow-up questions. The first is, What's the time frame between planting the church and getting to that point of rhythm and seeing like the cracks where you're starting to feel hope? What, 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 how much time are you talking about there? Yeah, let me say that I took longer to get there than most people do. I think, I think I was, uh, inexperienced, uh, really naive, kind of prideful. So I could have actually been more pliable and sensitive to the Lord in the process. And maybe the process would have gone a little faster, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I wasn't. So uh, I think it took me a long time, but Mm -hmm. uh, I, the church planners that I see go through that process and come out on the other side of it, I would say, you know, like five years. Uh, And you're an example of a church planner that came to the church planting table way deeper into your ministry experience. So you had already experienced a lot of the difficulties and stresses of ministry and you were pretty sober. I think when you came into church planting, Mm -hmm. do you think that's true? I think it's true. Yeah. As I'm listening to you describe this, I'm really glad that I was in um, less consequential ministry positions and learning those lessons. Yeah. So being, um, 
disillusioned, idealistic, um, uh, you know, dealing with conflicts with people, learning how difficult people are to lead. I got a chance to experience a lot of those things in an earlier context. Plus, um, having a dad who was a pastor of a small church, mm, it man. was it that was really helpful too. I remember as a twelve-year-old listening to um, members' meetings in my parents uh, in our living room, and I was upstairs, and we'd listen through the vents, and I'd hear <laughs> members berating my dad, yeah. you know, and I knew that that these people were total hypocrites, and right. so getting to hear like the really ugly underbelly of right. church life. Um, and then my dad was really, really, um, emotionally strong and transparent in communicating kind of what was going on. And mm. that was really helpful as well. But I mean, everything you're describing, I I've over the 17 years of ministry that I've done, I've experienced that, but not necessarily here in Baltimore. Yeah. So the outcome of that is, uh, I say, if you're a young church planter, like young and experience wise, um, and young maturity wise, you should put your cup on before yeah. you go out to plant because you, it, it's going to be so hard and you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Um, there's this a guy named Henry Maslow. Maybe you've heard of him. He uh, he came up with this like philosophical idea called the hierarchy of needs it's, uh, that yep. you've probably heard of. A lot of people have heard of. But he also uh, has this lesser known thing called the uh, four stages of learning a new skill. Mm. And it starts with at the bottom of it is unconscious incompetence. And then it moves to conscious incompetence. And then it moves to uh, conscious competence and then it moves to unconscious competence and what that is is it's a progression of learning a new skill every person when they start something they don't know how to do they're unaware of how much they don't know about it Mm. and they only move to the next stage when they become completely aware of how much they don't know about it then they go into a learning posture and then they can move to the next stage was after I've learned and experienced and put my hands on something for a little while, you move into the stage where you're consciously, uh, conscious competence, which is just, I, I can do it. I know how to do it well, but I have to concentrate and pay attention. Mm. And then there's the last in state the we, one we all want to be at immediately, which is unconscious competence. I don't have to pay attention very much. I don't have to do it really closely. It comes second nature to me and I intuitively do good. Uh, and, wow. and you know, when I was young, I thought that experience didn't matter at all. I thought that, um, wit, smartness, sharpness, work ethic mattered. It doesn't matter how hard you work as a church planter. If you don't know what you're doing, you'll, yeah. you'll spend all your time on the wrong things and you'll, you'll put the emphasis. It's like saying a sentence like Yoda, you'll put the emphasis in the wrong places. Right. I mean, so, um, so the most important thing is that you, you get experience in ministry. So if you're young and you're going to plan a church, I'm not saying don't do it, but I'm saying prepare for war. Mm-hmm. Uh, and prepare to to stick it out. It's going to get incredibly hard. You're going to come to a point where you feel like I can't get over these hurdles, the, and you're gonna you're gonna feel somewhat what like I described. Um, or uh, better option is pull a Josh Taransky and do some other stuff mm-hmm. and life and get some experience and kind of you know you you got to a place where you were a competent leader and you had been successful in other ventures and then you set out to do this and. 
and you're you're growing faster than my church grew. You are going to, I mean, the, the five-year version of your church and my church are going to be worlds different because mm. of the experiences you've had. Mm. No, that's encouraging. And I, I think the encouragement that I've, I've felt uh, along the way is that it, it appears that if you can just do the basics well mm-hmm. over a long period of time, that your church grows. And there are some guys that are planting in really, really difficult areas and the context yeah. is just hard, hard soil. So but I look even around Baltimore City, Washington, yeah. DC, you got you got guys who they've they've waged the storms, they've just stuck in there, they've faithfully just done every Sunday, yep. you know, take right. love their family and and God brings people. And it's funny because there's so up front when you're church planting, there's all these ideas, you know, mm-hmm. of like, but really it's, uh, it, it, it seems like it's not rocket science. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a spirit led, but in endurance, um, man, really good stuff. Yeah. Well, um, let me, yeah. let me just finish by saying that when people ask me the question, what's the, what, what I need to know as a church planner, what's the number one, you know, thing I need to know. I always say the number one quality of a fruitful church planner is tenacity, Mm. tenacity. Like Mm. you've got to be able to take the blows and keep going. You have to develop a thick skin while keeping a tender heart. But most church planners I know, they have thin skin and a tough heart. Mm. And so if you, uh, if you want to be fruitful and successful in this world, you will or in this, in this world of church planting, uh, you will you will find out how to continue to be vulnerable, to love people, to be honest, to be forthright, to be candid, to be humble, uh, and you will not be crushed by the the critical eye of others. Yeah. Wow. Man, that's great. Really good stuff, Clint. I'm glad you shared that. I'm 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 sure there are guys that are out there somewhere on the continuum of what you're describing. And this has to be encouraging to them. And, and just the fact that you're at the place where you're at now, where you've not just successfully planted that church, but you've been able to help so many other guys plant churches. It's just uh, really, really encouraging. And I know that that's what guys need. You know, a lot of guys just need, uh, they, they, they kind of, they've got the strategy or they've got a plan, but they just need the encouragement. So hopefully that's what they've heard in this episode. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. Hey, podcaster, thanks for listening to the Church Planting Podcast. Hopefully, it's been useful and helpful to you in your ministry. And if it has, we'd like you to do two things for us. First, we'd like you to subscribe. If you subscribe right there in your podcast application for the Church Planting Podcast, then every time a new episode is posted on midday on Wednesdays, that will show up in your your podcast feed and you won't have to search for us every time you want to listen. So that's the first thing you can do. The second thing you can do is simply click that share button in your application and uh, post about the Church Planning Podcast, either your favorite episode or the podcast as a whole on your favorite social media platform. That would be a huge help to us and it would help other folks who are out there trying to start new churches glean from the wisdom of those who are featured on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Church Planting Podcast. We'll be back next week with a new episode.